0: All right, well, welcome to, I guess, the first edition of what we're going to call the third sub. And uh, I'm here with, I guess, my co-host, Samuel Rowan, and I'm Alexander Gange-Ruzik. So uh, for those who don't know you, uh, who are you? Yeah, well, that's a, I mean,
1: that's a question that could be answered in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, as a former philosophy major, I could definitely get into that in a, in a much different way than we're probably going to here. But uh I've covered the white caps for this will be my third season now for 86 Forever and SB Nation. And uh currently working at Simon Fraser University covering all things NCAA D2 university sport. And uh excited to talk some caps and some Canadian soccer and just, you know, life in the world at general here on the third sub and uh, we'll get into that in a little bit i think what what the third sub's all about or what we kind of have in mind uh but yeah looking forward to getting this thing
0: going absolutely and for those who don't know me uh i i'm with uh between the sticks a website i had a pleasure of uh, co-founding with a couple of uh friends of mine and uh I, this is my second season covering the white cap so i'm still uh, the sophomore i was a rookie last year and uh cover canadian soccer i'm currently out in toronto at ryerson so i'm a bit far but as soon as uh, i'll be back after school's done i'll cover the team and what i'm heading out to games all over the place because ever since i've started it's been a it's been a blast and sam himself he's over uh, at 86 forever so for the third sub for those not so familiar with what the third sub is sam you have an explanation Well, I mean, so there's a, you know, there's the
1: very obvious surface level take. It's the, you know, it's the third sub in the game, but I think it all started for us last season when Mark Dos Santos made a bit of a habit of not necessarily always using his third sub. And I I took a bit of personal offense to that. And I think part of it is that, um, not necessarily that I'm a virtuoso coach in my own right, but that I think the third people that are the third sub, usually a striker, usually an attacking player, I feel like a certain kind of mentality goes with that. You know, your 60th minute, you get up and you start doing your stretches, you know, your high knees, your can opener type stuff, you know, then eventually you take the training top off, you sort of jog around a little bit, and then you finally, 85th, 87th, 89th minute comes and you, you get your three to five moments of glory, or maybe maybe ten minutes if you're lucky. And I don't know, I just I've always kind of been fascinated by that. Like I'm not sure that there's a I'm not sure there's another sport where that brief appearance of a bench player can be so impactful and valuable. Like well, you, yeah, you come off the bench in basketball, but you're not coming off like someone who's coming in for three minutes at the end of the game. It's usually because it's garbage time or in hockey. Yeah. You're a fourth liner. Okay. Maybe you're, maybe you score a goal or something, but most likely those moments are really fleeting. But if you're the third sub, you can come on, score a 90th minute goal and uh, you know, have a drastic effect on the game. So I think it's simultaneously a very kind of underrated up, underrepresented thing. And at the same time you can be the hero. So it's kind of, I think it's a fascinating sort of concept and, and also a good little inside joke about the cap. So I think it made sense
0: for us. Oh, yeah. And I mean, what other sport are you going to be using a sub as a strategy? 92nd minute of 93, you bring on your sub, you kill time. It's just, <laughs> I think that happened a few times last year. I think at one point they brought in PC and it was like the 93rd minute. I think he like came on, ran from one end to the other. And that was the game. I was like, wow, <laughs> what a shift. And it was like such a good shift because it helps them.
1: Yeah, and to me, the fact that like it just seems so crazy that you you spend a week at training leading up to that, then you're doing recovery the next day, and like he ran the length of the pitch once. <laughs> also, oh, yeah. I, I have I have my other things about PC was my boy for a lot of last year, despite the fact that he maybe didn't
0: didn't have that much of an impact, and that's a that's a whole different conversation. Well, yeah, right? if only people saw what his right foot did at training. But yes, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> anyways we'll we'll dive right into the the caps talk because obviously being this the first episode there actually is a lot to talk about in Whitecaps land so today you you had the pleasure of heading out to training over at beautiful UBC so what what kind of stood out to you from today's session and just kind of the sessions you've had the the chance to see recently
1: Yeah well Alex I was talking to you about this a little bit pre. Recording that this is my first real chance I've been out several times this year, but I think this was the first time I really got to just dive into what they were doing on the pitch and how the individual players looked and kind of how things had progressed since the start of camp. And I think despite the fact that both you and I could probably agree that the overall roster overhaul in the offseason is maybe not quite where we would have liked it to have been. I do think that the level of preparation and readiness around the team this year feels a lot different than last year and that's obviously a good thing.
0: Yeah, well obviously we'll we'll have a segment later on in this just kind of like thoughts on the rebuild itself, but yeah, obviously if you look at the roster in in a just from a neutral perspective, yeah, there's holes no doubt there's holes, but what I do like, if you look year over year compared to last year, where at this point you're scrambling, okay, we need a striker, we need like three strikers, you're still missing this, you're missing that, it's a lot more complete, the full squad is already, maybe minus four or five players is already together, so I think it's it's good to, you hear, I keep hearing intensity, 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 whereas last year was bodies, we need physical bodies, so I think just that is is a progress, and I think, that's been good to to hear so far.
1: Yeah, and I think to kind of add to that, the focus of a lot of today's training was intricate details. It wasn't, you know, let's just get different guys playing with each other and getting familiar, which was honestly, even during the start of the MLS season last year, it was still guys trying to figure out each other's names, basically. But already you can see Mark working a lot more on little intricate details of the formations, how players link up, and that's really something that took so long for them to get into last year. It was a, a serious problem, something we heard DeSantos talk a lot about throughout
0: the year. Yeah. Well, I also think since, as we saw last year, like no no one's going to kid themselves, last year's preseason was probably about as bad as you can imagine a team's preseason going not not the quality was bad but you just when you don't have players your first leg in hawaii was basically just an academy camp whereas now like they can come out they're 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 working on strategies even last year despite their dis disjointed preseason they still they they were in games against teams like rsl they lost what was it one nothing in the second game of the season rsl went on to finish fifth and nearly make well they they made the playoffs and they beat portland in the first round like hey the whitecaps despite all their disjointedness that's kind of how fine the lines you know shout out to to the fine lines guys jj uh, adams and dan riccio but those are kind of how lines the thin the lines are in mls so if they can use this preparation that get off to a strong start and have more strategy and have more cohesion hey at least maybe they won't be as bogged down by by it early on
1: Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, if I was asked right now, you have to put money on whether or not the Whitecaps are going to make the playoffs, I'm going to say no. And that doesn't necessarily mean, though, that I don't think they're headed in the right direction, that I don't think the mentality and the attitude towards how they're forming their team isn't massively better than it was six or ten months ago, because I think substantial steps have been made.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think... Because even if you say don't make the playoffs, I I agree with that too. You look at the roster. Do I think objectively looking at what they've done so far, they make the playoffs? No. But when we, as we'll see later, there is a lot of potential. Things are headed in the right direction. And at least there's hope of it. You might not reach it, but it's it's in a lot better shape than it is six to 10 months ago. And I guess that's kind of what you hope from a franchise. You kind of hope instead of, steps backwards step backwards that they're taking step forward and hey some people might not agree with that but so far from what I've seen it certainly looks like it's progressing
1: yeah and so I think with that you know you're talking a little bit about hope there a guy that we should get into right off the bat is Ryan Raposo the Whitecaps super draft pick and I think if you asked anyone around the Whitecaps At the training facility, they would say that he's probably been the highlight of the preseason so far. Really energetic, kind of soft-spoken guy, but at the same time very confident, and I think has shown a lot of his quality already in the preseason. And as far as I know, from people I've talked to, doesn't sound like, despite the fact that the Wings are pretty busy on the Whitecaps roster— doesn't look like he's going anywhere on loan. They are planning on keeping him around for the full season.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I think so far, from what he's shown, I mean, it's a bit early to start proclaiming Vancouver the winners of this draft. But so far, I think this is a home-run pick just without him sitting on the field. Yeah, it's a bit bold. But you look at what he is. He's Canadian. First of all, it's like a homegrown – son he's only 22. That's what – well, sorry, he's not 22, he's 20 years old as well. And for most super draft picks, you have to remember that some of these guys they've brought in, they look 23, they're 24. Like, hey, at, at that age, you kind of know what you're going to get. Raposo's 20, he's the same age as someone like Theo Bear, who's a homegrown prospect. So I think you basically there, first of all, you got your a free signing in a draft pick, which is rare. And he's Canadian, he doesn't cost them any money because he's Generation Adidas. So intangibles-wise, it was a great pick, and on the field, yeah, he's delivered. He's scored twice in in the preseason, in the three games. He, he works hard. He's a relentless presser of the ball. His technical skills are, are growing, but most importantly, his confidence, he's not short of that, that's for sure. So I think that all of that considered, it's already a great pick, and as long as he starts performing, it's only going to go up from that.
1: Yeah, and I think what I like about the Whitecaps wingers this year is, so we saw Mark Santos talked. If I had a dollar for every time he said something about the profile of each position he was looking for last year, that was something I heard almost every training session. And I feel like on the wings, that's really changed this year. Last year, you look at the guys they had, Bangura, Venudo, and Chirinos, and maybe Torinos is a little bit different than the first two, but they were all kind of ball at the feet, take on my man one-on-one. And at times those guys, especially Bangura and Venudo, got a little bit like tunnel vision where once they got in a one-on-one, they really didn't see the rest of the field that well. And sometimes they kind of weren't aware of what was going on around them or didn't build up play in the way DeSantos was maybe hoping for. And I feel like Dahomey, Raposo, and Milinkovic, who I'd like to get into in a minute here, all kind of have a little bit more passing sense. They're more on the midfield side of wingers than maybe like a pure out-and-out forward finishing type winger. And I think that that's positive because Mark wants everyone to sort of be part of the build-up. So that seems exciting and we might see the wingers on the Whitecaps playing a little differently this season than we did last
0: yeah well you know my feeling on the wingers obviously I have very strong opinions from last year because obviously he had Bangura Venuto and Chirinos and he didn't necessarily use them right but what I've come to realize over this offseason he did yeah he didn't use them right but at least this offseason he's gone out and rectified that and gotten players that fit that profile. And hey, for all we know, talent-wise, like pure talent-wise, Bangura, Venuto, Chirinos, they, they might be as equally as talented as, say, a or a Dahomey. But profile-wise, they're completely different. As we know from Mark, I think it kind of really hit me later in the season when he started using the Christmas tree. Mark loved, DeSantos loves to have his wingers drop he loves to play them deep less of a traditional hug the h- hug the touchline take on your guys wide kind of wingers and that was kind of where his issues with ben and Venuto lied so I think it's good to see that he's identified that and he's the De is definitely not that kind of winger Jordi Reyna who looks a candidate to play out there is definitely not that kind of winger Malinkovic, Raposo Theo Bear even to St. Ricketts who might play out wide none of those guys are your traditional wingers. And honestly, I think it's great because it shows that Mark DeSantos has identified things that he likes with the way you coach and he's gone out to rectify it. So I think from a coach, what more, I guess, what more could you ask in that sense? Because obviously last year, they just they may have just gotten Venuto and uh, Bangura, not, maybe not necessarily scouted them as much, or maybe they didn't realize that how they played would hamper them, but at least they've gone out and corrected that.
1: Yeah, and so I think that's where you talk about maybe the yeah, the overall quality of the names or the quality of the the players doesn't necessarily improve, but then the fit does and that in turn can have a positive impact on wins and losses. Um, so yeah, moving on to one of those wingers, David Milinkovic, obviously a bit of a uh, shrouded in a bit of controversy coming in because of his time at Hull and the way that English fans and media felt about him, but I think from the little bit that I've seen at training, and I talked to him a little bit today, I'm feeling more positive about him than I did on the day he was signed.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, that's a fair assessment because obviously when he was signed, you can't ignore that. I don't think it's it's hard not to ignore. And I mean, it's good that at least Axel Schuster, when they interviewed him, they asked him about it and he did talk about it. Obviously, they're never going to go in depth into that sort of thing. And I don't blame them for that. But there's no like you can't hide about it. his, His stint at Hull was far from anyone's picture of ideal. He was he had his issues with being late for training, yada, yada. You can go through it all day. There's articles for that, but. Hey, at least what what was clear when I, I started to sit down and look at his numbers, look at his look at his the clips available that he can play. Obviously, I didn't get a chance to see him in full games and hopefully uh Schuster and DeSantos have done their homework in that regard, but he can play on the field. There's never been anyone saying that he's had a bad effort on the field, that he's had bad mentality on the field, etc. So if they can make sure to nurture the off the field problems because remember this could just be a one-stop thing maybe it's just the hall night the the Hull city or whatever whatever it was about Hull just really got to him this year he's obviously got a lot uh, a lot shorter of a leash so I think if he can live up to those pre Hull days that he showed I think it can be a real real good signing
1: yeah and so speaking with him today I think a couple things stood out first of all he seemed very genuine in his recognition of, yeah, that was, my time at Hall City was was not positive, it didn't go the way I hoped, it didn't go the way the club was hoping, and it it wasn't trying to, doesn't seem like a guy trying to hide from it or make excuses for it, it's just sort of, yeah, that wasn't my best football, that wasn't the best I'm capable of, and I'm ready to come here and get an opportunity to show that I'm more the player I was before than the player I was in England. And I think that's exciting. And I also think that he sees that the door is open here in a way that maybe it wasn't at all. And I think you see this throughout tons of sports is that when players maybe have a bit of a conflicting personality with the coach or the organization, that's only a problem when you're not a relied upon centerpiece of the club. Like if he would if he had been one of the best players at Hull, I'm sure they would have found a way to make it work. But when you're a fringe guy trying to get into the squad, those are the kind of things that are just gonna set you back to the point where you don't end up getting any opportunities. And I feel like here he has the opportunity to sort of prove himself as an important part of the team and then the rest will sort of sort itself out from there. Yeah, and then, no. So far as Malinkovic, so we talked a little bit about the profile of wingers, and I think he's really interesting because he plays, I think if, if we're talking about the polar opposite of a Venudo or a Bagura on the wing, Malinkovic is pretty
0: much it. Oh, no you you pretty much that's that's exactly it he's he's a left winger primarily which is good because uh the homey as we'll talk about a little later he's a more of a right winger and he loves to cut inside he loves to play deeper he loves to set up his teammates which by by all accounts is is good especially because if your memory serves correct the whitecaps have ali adnan who happens to be probably for your money the best attacking left back in the league obviously defensively that's a whole nother story and that's a story that we can go on about all day but he's one of the best attacking left backs no doubt about it so you know having that sort of connection on the left side where Milinkovic is going to cut in and set up his teammates and operate in that space Well with Adnan flying forward with reckless abandon as he know he we know he loves to do I think it's a, a fit that should work out pretty well and I think that's why you look at look at it from a playing standpoint. Milinkovic is, is a great signing. Obviously, there's other factors. There's always a chance that, you know, he, he slips up because people are worried about his attitude. It could always come back. It happened once. It could happen tw- again. And also, footballing-wise, how fit is he? He's played, what, like a dozen games in the last two years. That's always a... A concern fitness wise for someone in his prime, but if they can get over those two footballing wise, there's a lot to be excited about there.
1: Yeah. And I don't, I think that the fitness thing could be an issue, but only insofar as his personal habits. He's not necessarily going to be a guy that relies on his ability to burn past people. He's a, I would describe him as a good athlete, but not a, not a great one. And I think that in a way, We'll have to see, obviously, how things pan out as the season begins, but Milinkovic could be a bit of an answer to the what is happening with the midfield question. He's, oh, yeah. he's going to play on the wing, but I think we saw even last season that what Dos Santos's formations look like on the start sheet and how they actually work during the match are two very different things. And so I think that sort of midfield creator role with the way Adnan charges up the pitch, Milinkovic could very well end up playing quite central and being a big part of that kind of key pass set up the attack phase.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's, it's it's going to be weird to see. I think what has what is clear is that it's going to be a very staggered formation, but there's nothing wrong with that. The way they're set up, you got to take your guys and you got to deploy them. And hey, maybe when Adnan possibly moves on, you switch up the way you play. But you got to use your strengths. You have a strong attacking left back. You have wingers because if not Milinkovic, Reyna will probably play the left. If not Theo, Bear can play the left. They'll all cut in. They're all right-footed. So I think it's it's just the way they're set up to play. So I think it's it's a great way to shield and maybe mask some of the deficiencies. In the midfield which I guess we can also talk about a little later
1: yeah I mean that's a I think that's something that you know fans and commentators pundits alike are all kind of going how have we gone the whole offseason without something really substantial happening in the midfield but that does sort of discount the new addition from the Israeli league and and as we've sort of titled in our show notes, the wild card. He's a Wosu really a guy that – is it a Wosu or a Wosu? It's a Wosu. It's a Wosu. Okay, well, now yeah. I've got that one settled.
0: You're going to have to get used to that.
1: <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, so you're you're definitely more well scouted in African soccer than I am. But I would imagine even that for you there's there's only so much information to go off. right? This was a guy that was playing – what was it? It was like second or third division somewhere in Africa, like a couple years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I've actually I'm quite lucky when they signed Owusu because uh, over my time in Toronto, I have have made, uh, made made friends with uh, one guy. His name is Ibrahim Ridwan Asante. You might know him. He might even be listening to this show, but he's uh, he, he used to work for Ghana SoccerNet and he currently writes for BBC Africa. So as soon as Owusu signed, I, I shot him a, a tweet and I shot him a text. i went, like, hey, can you give me some info on him? Because uh, he follows the Ghanaian league quite closely. And he saw Owusu play in the second division and when they promoted up. So luckily, I was able to get a good scouting report from him, which uh, I didn't definitely I was fortunate there that it maybe wasn't, say, a Nigerian player or someone else. But from what I've been told of Wusu, I think he's going to be an exciting player. Um, I was told, I've never heard of this kind of description of the player, but I'm a big fan of it. And I'm curious to see, I think the clips back this up. He described his passing as text message, which is to say that, you know, he sends it, he gets it where he wants to, and it's pretty fast. So I think that's that's exactly what you want to hear from a midfielder. And
1: That's that's great, I like that.
0: Uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. And then uh, he, he, he seems to be a good athlete, and he's very versatile. That's an, another thing. And then on this Whitecaps team, that's, that versatility is going to be huge, because he can play a six, which he might have to at the beginning of the season. He can play the eight, which is probably his ideal role, and he can play a ten. And I think along with in Bam Huang, who's similar in that versatility. In fact, they're really similar players, which is funny enough that they'll be playing together. I think Awusu is a kind of he's a kind of jack of all trades midfielder, kind of like Gershon Kofi, but a step up in a way. And I think he can add a lot to the midfield. Is he a solution enough on his own? No, but I definitely think people will be surprised when he when he does get his papers sorted out and he does start playing because. He's definitely got the skills and he's quite polished technically from what I've seen in clips and from what I've been told. Yeah, and I
1: think that something that's maybe a bit discounted at times is that the the Israeli league isn't a joke. It's a good league to play in and he performed by all accounts quite well there. So, I and there are you know stories of people translating from the Israeli league to North American soccer and it going reasonably well. My only concern is for a young guy who's had a lot change in his life over the last couple of years, if he's asked to be a centerpiece of the Whitecaps midfield this year, just how smoothly will that adjustment go? Not necessarily just from a footballing on the pitch standpoint, but just dealing with that transition. That's something that, given the lack of depth in the midfield, worries me a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, that's probably one of the biggest worries and also really have enough support. Is there going to be enough rotation for him? Is he going to end up having to go full in bomb and play 34 games? Those are kind of worries I do have. But what does stick out to me on the positive end is he's used to adversity. Obviously, helping his team promote in the second division was a huge moment. But in Israel, he was on a terrible team. I think they scored the least amount of goals and they barely avoided rally. So to hear from everyone saying, oh, he was a good player, he worked hard, he, he seems to have a good mentality for that because it's never easy to play on a terrible team. So I just think he is battle-tested. Obviously, how is he going to adjust to Vancouver? I don't know, but as Vancouver has been pretty good to a couple of Guyanians in the past, such as Gershon Kofi. So hopefully that goes smoothly. And then on the pitch... I guess it'll be i think from his end he can definitely bring something but will the will the he be fitting into the team around him that is yet to be seen
1: yeah and it seems like if we're looking at kind of you know the ins and outs for the club this is sort of a direct statement from DeSantos Santos of this is the Arise re- kind of replacement guy because i know that DeSantos Santos wasn't happy with Arise just didn't fit the energy level and the athleticism that DeSantos was hoping for. And I feel like Awusu is skilled in those areas where Arise maybe lacked.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the ideal is to get a new six. They're definitely looking for a six. That's well, been... that's what we've been hearing for six plus, yeah. months, right? They're, they're they're looking. That's how obviously looking versus finding is a whole nother story. But we know they're looking. Uh, yeah. They're gonna. They're probably gonna die trying. But if not, if Awuso is your day one six replacement, and you have Russell Tybert still in the midfield. And by the way, I think Russell Tybert's had probably one of the best off seasons and preseasons for my money too, I, as I wrote about on our site, which you can check out. But I think Awuso. If you look over Sariche Arise, he can pass similar to Arise. He, but he's a lot more athletic cuz i think arise great player i think the white caps he could have been a fit on the white caps but i just think he wasn't the right fit at the right time it was just too much for him last year and i think owusu if uh, similar conditions are if the conditions are similar this year he's definitely more up for it it seems
1: yeah and just talking about russell for a second um i don't think i saw him as happy and as just sort of like jovial and positive at any point last year as I've seen him already this year something just seems different like he's I think that all the turnover last year and just all the dramatic organizational changes really took a toll on him and he seems like he's sort of gotten over that at this point and he's just ready to fully commit himself and you know give every not that he didn't because russell's always been a guy that gives everything he can but it just seems like the focus is more squarely where it needs to be this year and he's really enjoying his football he's got a good group of guys that he knows and likes and and he seems to be you know bringing some of his best stuff as well scored another kind of upper 90 top drawer goal today at training similar to the one we saw in the preseason and. Uh, people are saying, yeah, Rusty's been shooting a little bit more, so uh, maybe we'll have
0: to watch out for that early on in the season. Well, yeah. Well, I think Tybert-wise, I guess the last thing I'll say on him, obviously, you know, when you put Russell in as a sub or as a, as a starter, he's going to work his tail off. He's going to give you that. And what has been clear is year over year, his passing improves, his shooting improves. So, if from what it's for, from what I seen, the only action I got to see him in was with Canada, where for my money he probably was Canada's best or second best player in that game against Barbados, where they won four one. That was a broadcast. So if it's Owusu, Inbam, and Tybert as a midfield three, obviously you'd hope for you know you'd always hope for more. You can always hope for more, but I wouldn't be devastated. But anyways, I guess we'll kind of pivot towards the the people. Well, the next signing on our on our list of, of new guys, one of the guys they'll probably be playing in front of, Mr. Ranko Veselinovic, the new Serbian centre-back signed recently uh, out of the, the Serbian top flight. And kind of what what stood out to you about the the 20-year-old coming to Vancouver?
1: Well, I think it was interesting because obviously it was, uh, it was announced on a Sunday and it was sort of out of the blue and we were only getting wind of... We knew they were looking at a center back, but we were only getting wind of this, actually, the fact that it was going to go down very quickly before it actually happened. And I think that it's just a, an under, like, it's almost hard to describe. This could could be a huge move for the club, and yet it feels like it comes without any real fanfare attached. And I guess that's kind of appropriate given the fact that center backs aren't necessarily the the attractive you know star position so you're not going to get the kind of you know buzz around the player but for a guy that I know this is something that you've you know probably heard from everyone online but to be a captain in that league in a tough league at such a young age definitely says something not only about his on-field abilities but the character of the guy as well before he even steps in to MLS. And I think that play style wise, it sounds like he'll be a really good fit too. And and all of a sudden, you know, the Whitecaps at a center back position, at least athletically and physically are a scary group. There's a lot of, a lot of bruisers on that back line.
0: Oh yeah. No, I think center back wise, they, they have to have one of the best groups in MLS, at least on paper. I think especially if they sign Amir Didic, even though he might, he's coming off the CPL. He's a specimen. He wins balls. Is technically he, his passing. If you want to talk about someone's text message, he's got an iPhone XR or something down there. I don't even know what to say. He's got unreal passing. So I think center back wise, yeah. And I think obviously they lost Daniel Henry. And I, I Daniel Henry, he's a great guy and he's a great player and he's a great leader and it was not easy to replace him. But one thing I did note about him is that Denis, uh, Henry he struggled with with playing in a uh, high mid to high line, which uh, actually Max Crepo last week said in his in one of his audio bites saying, "Oh, that uh, De Santos had said that they want to play with the mid to high line instead of the usual low line." So I think that's smart. They moved on from Henry for what seemed to be a good amount of cash, and by getting guys like Vasilinovic. And maybe did it if he signs Godoy, be it as a center back or as a right back, Cornelius uh, right. and Jesser Kamiri, obviously a real, a real, real wild card. Those are all guys that can play in this mid to high line. They can play in that style of play. And I think style wise, they well, physically, well, physical wise, they got a great unit. And I think style wise, they really got something that DeSantos can work with.
1: Yeah, I mean I was my notes on Henry were going to be very similar to yours. Um same thing like I nothing but enjoyed his media last year. He's always an entertaining guy to talk to. But ultimately that was another player that it just felt like down the line the quality was there but the fit wasn't right. And at times it seemed to me like when he got a little bit out of position, all of a sudden the game started moving really fast for him in his head. And it was just too much to be able to recover and stay composed. He kind of liked to see everything in front of him. And I also think that Daniil's a bit of a guy where, I know this is kind of a you know a thing you talk a lot about in North American soccer, but he seemed very much like an athlete first and a soccer player second. And I get the sense that most of these guys they have now in their back line – aren't like that they're more they're true footballers and and it comes to them sort of naturally and they have a really good feel for the game and so I think in that sense they've maybe made an upgrade um and that's not to take anything away from Daniil and the player he was because he was a good player for the Whitecaps a lot of the time it just long term it seemed like there was a bit of disconnect in the fit there
0: yeah well I think technically Henry has has come a long way and he's He's a great player in that regard. But I just think, yeah, fit-wise, I like the way they're going. And I think if you look at the Vasilinovic signing, one thing I think, I think this is the kind of signing that as soon as Vancouver made it, and the MLS, side, I'd like to imagine the MLS called them and went like, great job, guys. Because with, with the new CBA rules, obviously we don't know how it's going to affect. But these are the kind of guys you want to bring. Because in the MLS, it's got a reputation for being a... High octane offense, and I think El Tráfico is like in the playoffs, where it's five three. That doesn't do much to when when all the eyeballs are on the league. That doesn't do much to deter from that. So I think Vancouver stocking up on center backs, getting a guy like this. Like this is a like if someone like I don't know, I'm trying to think like a mid level European side signed Vasilinovich, it would be a good signing. A 20 year old captain of the third place team in Serbia, which you have to remember their first place team, Red Star Belgrade did well against Bayern, did well against Tottenham, so it's it's a good league, and I think it's a signing that people don't realize how big it is, and it's the kind of signings you want to see more in MLS, and it's good that Vancouver's leading the way there, because I think defensively it's going to give them a leg up. Yeah, I mean, this is, to me, this has
1: the potential to be, you know, neck and neck with the Cavallini signing in overall importance to the quality of the Whitecaps season. And I think that that's, you know, that is obviously dependent on how he transitions to the North American game and all those sorts of things. And I think Cavalini has a huge edge up there, but you know, I think they can't be, can't be overstated what kind of quality prospect this is that the Whitecaps are bringing in. And again, because it was done, early on a Sunday morning, kind of after, you know, a lot of the major signings were done, it kind of seems like a throwaway, but it's most definitely not.
0: I I agree with you there hundred percent. Well, anyways, well we're we're slowly down the list of new signings. I guess let's only naturally move on to the next one. The next uh, I guess second to last before Cavallini in terms of big signings, and it's Christian de Home. And I think that was probably one of the more interesting signings, because again, it might not have gotten the same fanfare as a Cavallini, but I think it's a very intriguing signing on its own. I don't know what you have kind of initial thoughts on Home, but yeah well so if i'm if I'm going to put on
1: my sort of you know stereotypical Whitecaps fan hat, the question that I'm asking is, how is this? different than Bangura or Venudo And why is this going to work in a way that those two players didn't? And I think I'd like you to get into that a little bit more because I get the sense from people who maybe aren't quite so plugged in that that's been the response is, okay, another speedy winger, but is that going to work?
0: Well, I think, first of all, what really excited me is uh, what, what league and what level he was competing at. Uh, he came from the Ecuadorian League. And luckily for me, uh, I, I actually am quite familiar with the, the league. I am f- quite familiar with the, his club he was on loan at last year, Independiente del Valle in uh, Ecuador. Uh, funnily enough, I actually have a kid there. So when they signed him, I thought that's pretty cool. Uh, but yes, Dahomey, obviously the level, because for those who don't know his club, or IDV as they're as they're known in abbreviation terms, won the Copa Sudamericana last year, which is the Europa League equivalent in South America. And it's a pretty big deal, especially for a club from Ecuador. It's maybe not the most high profile of leagues to win that. And funnily enough, they beat Cologne in the final. So Godoy's parent club before he got signed. But that was a big deal for him. And Dahomey played a lot of... uh, he played a lot of big minutes especially in the in the cup in the the tournament itself and he scored a lot of big goals uh luckily enough someone that at least on my end that were are quite familiar with peter Galindo of sportsnet he watches a lot of the games uh in south america he's he's a peruvian so he's quite vexed with the the football in that region and yeah when i when i asked him for what he thought of the signing he said it was he was raving and raving and for people to see well, when usually when he's raving and raving about a signing from South America, usually you tend to, to trust him. And I think so far from what I've seen, I, there's a lot to like there.
1: Yeah. And also I think that he doesn't seem to come with the, the injury baggage that those other two did last year, because both so Venudo was coming off major knee surgery. And I don't think was quite back up to his full level. Also, his family situation back in Brazil sort of kept him one foot and one foot out the door. And with uh, with Bangura, same thing, just had a real struggle staying healthy. So I think if Dahomey can come in and sort of, again, we've, I mean, I've talked a lot about these two wingers and I don't think it's a, it's not a knock on either of them. It's just sort of a, an opportunity for someone else to come in and maybe the club to sort of improve on some of the. Some of the mistakes are just things that went wrong with those acquisitions last year. And I think Dahoma has a good chance to come in and be what the Whitecaps were hoping for out of that speedy winger position.
0: Yeah, well, I think from that point, injuries-wise, obviously you can never predict, but South American players typically adapt better to MLS because the schedule is, same, is similar. So they avoid injuries because they're not playing 18 months in a row and they play a lot more in, uh, like they're used to those turf surfaces, those crazy surfaces that you might not see in Europe where everything's so manicured. So I think injury wise, you can't predict it, but he has a leg up. I think style wise, if we're going to dive into that, he's stylistically he's he's the exact kind of winger DeSantos loves. He cuts inside, he's he loves to play kind of like an attacking midfielder, he's you, be it as a right winger or a left winger, he's two-footed, he can cut in, he can shoot from distance, play his teammates in. I think him and Cavallini are going to be a real, real solid partnership. And I think he's the kind of profile that you're kind of excited because he's still you know, in his prime and he's coming from a good league that you kind of want the Whitecaps to, to acquire because it's kind of one where he's a good player, but he's just coming out of a place where he's kind of unknown, and it's kind of—I think it's led to—to to get the Whitecaps. Hopefully, they end up getting a bargain here. Obviously, we don't know how it'll we'll adjust, but there's a lot of potential for one.
1: Okay, so with that, I guess we move on to Cavallini, and my to make this very, very simple:
0: How many goals do you think he's going to score this year? I think my number is at 15. That's very ambitious. But I'm just throwing 15 out there because I mean, if Kai Kamara was going to score 14, I think it was, and or 13, and Freddie Montero 14 in their 30s, I'd love to think uh, 26-year-old Cavallini coming home to Canada in the form of his life. I'd like to hope he can hit 15. Obviously, obviously, there's other factors, such as can he get the service, yada yada, service, service, you know, service. <laughs> but. <Yeah. laughs> Just in case he didn't get it, yeah, service. But if if he can get the the supply that he needs, I think he can score more than fifteen. And even on his own, I think ten is a realistic number.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think I'd go even a little bit greater than that. I'm thinking I'm thinking eighteen to twenty. I just don't know how well the scoring is going to be spread around the rest of the team. I that, think that you know he's. I think what's something that really Sort of made me a Cavallini believer was that extra time goal that he scored against the US. The way oh. in that 2 0 win, the way that he just waited and waited and waited on that ball, it was sort of bouncing in. It was one that, you know, not to bring up an old White player, but a guy like Octavio Rivero. Or even a guy like Joaquin Ardais last year, they would have tried to take it quickly and probably skied it into the 30th row of the stands. And Cavallini instead just kind of waited on it. It was like time almost stood still and he just slotted it home. And, you know, Freddie on his best day has that quality, but I feel like Cavallini also has some, some physical prowess to go with it. And, uh, I think that's really exciting, but obviously service plays a huge factor, and and the ability for the Whitecaps to spread the scoring around and get that scoring help elsewhere in the lineup is going to be important as well. So we'll have to see. But I think overall, as an individual player, that's you know, as a slam dunk, and it's just it depends on how he integrates into the squad. But I don't think that. You have to worry about his individual performances going into this
0: year. No, I think if I'm going to look at it, I think he's a real, what I like most about him is how he's a multi-tooled player. He's two-footed, because if you're going to talk about that U.S. goal, which I was very lucky enough to be in the stadium for, that's not his strong foot. He's a left-footed player. To see someone hit the ball with such conviction, and he described it to reporters after as saying he tried to break the net. With his weak foot, well, imagine his left foot. Imagine his strong foot. And I think that kind of striker, it's underrated because he can make runs off both shoulders. He can kind of be make it harder for defenders to predict. And if you're going to talk about shooting aside, I mean, he's a decent passer, but physically he wins balls, he wins headers. Uh, he, and pressing-wise, defensively, he apparently he presses, and I've seen it as well, he presses for two people on his own with his work rate. So those are the kind of multi-tools you like to see from a striker. So I think just having him on his own kind of offsets some other issues. And I think if you can get him the ball, well, watch out.
1: Yeah, and as as much as, you know, Theo Bear did have a a bit of a coming out party last year, and I think could be a a crucial piece this year if the Whitecaps are going to have some success. You know, you're essentially, a lot of the year it was either... Bear or Montero in that sort of false striker role, or then you had Toy St. Ricketts come in. So I think just having that consistency and a guy you can rely on game in, game out, is gonna have a huge effect on the way the
0: rest of the team plays. Yeah. No, I think I think it's just him mentality wise, he'll be huge in terms of mentoring and and what he brings off the field because by he's a seems to be a great guy, great influence he's well usually when someone marries and has kids pretty young it tends to you know they tend to be pretty pretty mature so i think it's a it's a complete package and i think it's a, a great signing as a dp for the team and now it's let's see i guess how the the, the pieces stack up around him
1: yeah absolutely i looking, looking forward to seeing some weak foot goals like that one in toronto because that would be nice to
0: experience in person oh yeah and I guess to to round up the roster, I mean, there's not much to say about the rest. Uh, the only other additions are uh, a good Christian Gutierrez from Okolo-Kolo, Brian Meredith from Inter Miami, and maybe, well, it was still yet to be confirmed, Amer Didic and Abu Bakar Sizoko. So I don't know if you have anything special to say on on those those four players before we move on. Well, I think that you know if you look at you look at those four,
1: right? In comparison to the, this isn't really a necessarily a statement about any one player, but just more about squad depth. If you take those four guys and you compare them to some of the squad depth pieces that were around the club last year, I think the team's moving in the right direction. Because Didic, a direct comparison last year would have been uh, Brendan McDonough. And I think, Didich is, already looks like a much better player than Brendan McDonough. Um, Gutierrez, haven't seen a ton from, but he looks he very much fits into the team and doesn't look out of place. Meredith, it's only just the beginning, so we'll have to see, but has a good record in MLS. Um, Sissoko, the same thing. All these guys just sort of fit into the team, and they, they seem like they belong. And last season, there were some guys that were around the club where you just kind of went what are these guys doing here? Like no offense to a PC and his wonderful right foot at training, but a lot of the time it was just, there didn't seem like there was a place for them or he didn't really belong at camp. And I think even the trialists this year, there's a a real business mentality and they're, they're here to compete and they, you know, even if they're not standout players, they, they look like they belong.
0: Yeah. Well, what I like about them, especially the three outfield players, that they're all young, like, to be fair, PC, he's the kind of guy you round out your roster with. And I think for the Whitecaps, he maybe was a bit miscast as a 14th, 15th man. Well, you look at guys like Gutierrez, who's uh, 22, if I'm not mistaken, it, who's 25, and Sissoko, who's 23 or 24. That's a good age for your kind of guys. There's still a lot of growth to come. They're coming from lower leagues, or Gutierrez is coming from a Colo Colo and a pretty solid Chilean league. So I think, I think if you're going to look, if your guys are going to be depth, it's always better to have them be young guys who can grow. And on that sense, it's positive. And Meredith, hey, you can't go wrong with the homegrown MLS backup. I don't think and those rarely fail, fail you. So on those part, I think those are positive depth. I mean, maybe we'll look back in here and be like, wow, we were just completely out of our minds. But so far from what I've seen, there's not much to hate there, at least.
1: Yeah, well, and like full disclaimer going into last season, when we did an 86 Forever Roundtable, we asked each other what we thought the goalkeeper split between McMath and Cropo was going to be going into the year. And I think all of us at that time picked something that relatively resembled 50 50, which in hindsight seems shocking. But at the time, it was sort of oh, this is a guy with MLS experience and proposed kind of an unproven commodity. And obviously that seems, it seems absurd to even think about that now, but it goes to show how quickly things can change. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to look back on how we view a lot of these guys we talked about later on down the line this season.
0: Yep. No, it's going to be interesting because obviously year after year, that's, I guess that's why pundits making predictions they always get the heat because you never really you never really know there's no sure thing but I guess that's we tried our best to make educated guesses about things and sometimes we're right and sometimes we're wrong but I guess I guess to round up this kind of new guy to look at all these new guys is there anything maybe you think any more new guys you'd want to see any needs that are pressing
1: well, yeah, it's the, you know, it's the perennial question really here is that, you know, do you have that true, true day in, day out, you know, relied upon box to box midfielder? And Owusu can certainly develop into that and could be that, but it still feels like either out of six or out an eight, depending on where you put the other pieces, there's just to make... Whitecaps a higher quality you know really competitive MLS team it feels like that piece is still maybe missing but that's something that I don't believe is happening between now and at least the summer window that's the sense I get is that the club is aware that Inbaum and Adnan may be on the move in the summer not necessarily guaranteed I think that in bomb's much more likely to move than Adnan, although both could be going, but I get the sense that's something they're looking to deal with in the summer and not now, unless something that's a perfect fit comes up. So I think I think that from what I've seen and heard, we're basically looking at the starting war Austin for this year unless something comes up where it seems like the right fit. They're still looking at a couple players, but whether or not something comes in that's super impactful I don't know at this point
0: yeah well I think the thing about transfers is we forget how fluid it is and it uh, definitely sounds like the Whitecaps were in negotiations with some sixes some quality sixes and you know they go to different clubs they don't want to leave their clubs want them it's like Mark uh, it's like the Santos says when when there's a good player it's never an easy negotiation I think we're kind of seeing that so I mean, obviously, I think they're, they want and the fans want and I think we want a midfielder by the first kick. But if not, if they have to wait for summer because the players they're looking at are locked up until then or whatever, that may be the plan. I don't know how much they'll hurt them because so far the four they are employing seems to already prepare to mask life without a six. But I guess yeah, we'll kind of... It's we'll
1: rather see. clever the way that DeSantis has just kind of gone OK, we're not going to sign a midfielder, so let's just do this a formation guys. that makes up for that. Yeah, it's it's been uh, – that sort of made me laugh when I first saw it in San Diego. And, but, so yeah, so far it it seems like it's working out for them, and I don't think that Dos Santos isn't sounding the alarm bell like he was last season where they didn't feel like they had the players they need. Despite the fact that maybe on paper a lot of people would go, oh, there's still some holes – I think DeSantos is a lot more confident with the squad he's got.
0: Yeah, well, I think, obviously, I'd love to pretend that DeSantos reads uh, my work because, funnily enough, like a day or two before he started using the 4-2-3-1, I'm oh, maybe they should use the 4-2-3-1 until they get midfielders. But it's good to see. And, hey, uh, even if we know people don't like the formation, first kicks in, what, 20 days? 19 days so he's got and he's been working on it for what 10 days that's a lot of time to develop and work on that system and other systems so at the very least they'll be cohesive within it and i guess we'll find out how it looks against mls caliber opposition
1: yeah all three of those games from portland thankfully are going to be broadcast on the white cap site apparently so we'll get to finally see some preseason action via video which will be nice. So looking
0: forward to that. Yeah, I guess uh, talk-wise, kind of looking back, the draft, obviously we talked about Raposo, but beyond that, there wasn't much that happened. They talk, drafted uh, Gagliardi, uh, the first name escapes me at the moment. Uh, Brian, uh, no, I, yeah, it just completely escapes me at the moment. And he was already released from his Uh, trial he wasn't signed to a contract and they passed on the last two rounds obviously Raposo is a strong pick so far but kind of what are your thoughts on the draft as a whole and is it kind of the start of the draft fading away as a mechanism to acquire players
1: yeah so it's Daniel Gaglardi. he was out of Florida International University but uh, as we talked about earlier it's just the the variety of the sort of situations you get with MLS draft eligible players is different. So Miglardi a guy that was 22 already. It was his redshirt senior year at Florida International. So this is a guy with essentially five years at the university level. And at that point, you kind of know what you're getting. And I think the moment that the Whitecaps brought in Meredith, it was just like, okay, this guy is now essentially expendable. And yeah, I think that just goes to show that the draft is you know the I'll do an air quotes super draft is such a a weird fit for the league because you've got both academies and drafts and you see like there's some drafts jake Nerwinski's draft the top ten from that draft is there's terrific quality players and then other other years go by and there's no quality pieces and so. It's one I'm still kind of struggling to figure out, and I think eventually, when league-wide all the academies are developed in the way the league's hoping, they'll be able to do away with the draft. But for the meantime, this isn't a an effective way to assign those top prospects to teams in what kind of seems like a equitable meritocracy type environment. But uh, it's still, yeah, it's it's a curious beast, and I'm not sure I've really really made much of it yet you know coming from a north american sport background the idea that a second round pick is getting released like three weeks after being drafted just seems very odd but uh yeah hopefully gaglardi can find himself a team somewhere in north america and maybe maybe we'll see him shine at that level soon enough
0: don't know yeah that's pretty much yeah draft wise it's such a weird system because the college system the, a lot of the guys coming out of there, they're not necessarily upgrades over what you get out of your academies. Obviously, Gressel's, Lair, Kyle Laren's, heck, even these Ryan Raposo's, they do happen. But I think now the short-term might fix is kind of maybe reduce the size so that there's not three picks in the last two rounds with everyone passing because they don't want any players and maybe reducing the significance and whatnot. But I think, yeah, it's definitely... There are gems to be found in the especially those first 15, 20, 30 picks. But maybe after it's kind of time we see it diminish. But I guess speaking of Raposo and the draft and Whitecaps Academy development players, it's still, it's what today, February 11th, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, It's actually my father's birthday. So happy birthday to him when he listens. I know he will be. But (laughs) today they still don't have a development squad plans for a league or anything and obviously there's still a a fair ways to go usually those seasons get underway in april and may but how is that is that worrying you so so far well so anyone who's who's listening that's been
1: familiar with my writing over the past year knows that this is this is the hill i want to die on with the whitecaps what on earth are they doing with their academy with their young players? We've seen guys walk out the door like David Norman Jr. We see guys like Simon Kohenin and Michael Baldissimo, who are essentially, even though they're on the team, it feels like they've already left. There's just no place for them. And uh, talking with Whitecap staff today, still no clear, decisive plans for for what's even going on this year, at least at last at this point last year, pardon me they had a schedule, they had some friendly set up. This year, you go on the Whitecaps site, you look at the 2020 schedule, there's nothing there. And uh, I think there, I believe there's some talk about maybe some Whitecaps development players going down to Portland and getting some kind of experience there. But But really anything beyond a week or two from now, I don't know if it's planned or they've even thought that far ahead. And for guys like Baldissimo and Coline, who are just sort of caught in between the academy and the first team, it's a it's a tough spot to be in. You really worry about the Whitecaps losing any of those guys at that age group because there just really isn't a situation that makes a whole lot of sense for them at the moment.
0: Yeah, well, I think for me, my my dream solution is, and I've said it in articles, I've said it. It's a second team, obviously. I have to be realistic the USL climate right now with the CPL and the USL it's complicated it's not easy for Canadian teams to have second teams and there's a reason why TFC has a second team in USL one and not USL championship because it's that complicated and CPL is not going to accept any development teams at least not right away until they're more developed so they that's not an option so it's kind of like where do you go where at, where they're still tested Because you want them to be tested. Yeah, they could go play and maybe, you know, in a lower league just to have a league. But will they be tested enough? And I think that's what's challenging the Whitecaps the most. At least if you talk to guys like Nick Dazovich and Mark DeSantos and everyone who's doing work on, on that end. So I think it's from there, it's just figuring, I mean, you can loan out guys to the CPL. And I think they'll do more of that to keep them and get them playing, which will help. But it's, I think they're going to need to find a second team. And I think it's an issue we're seeing in Canada now because I bet, well, TFC is the only team really doing anything, but the impact, I know people I talked to in the Montreal Impact, they're, they're facing similar issues with getting players minutes. And I think it's something that maybe they, they might need to collaborate on to find platforms for these players where they're playing at a professional level and they, they're able to make jumps up so it's not just, a Theo Bear, and Alfonso Davies. It's kind of like those Dallases and New York where it seems like half every year half their squads, these brand new academy like regens almost that like come out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, it's just unfortunate that, you know, some of these young players are sort of getting caught up in the the North American, you know, soccer landscape arms race that's happening right now, right? Like everyone's trying to position themselves and you know, claim their market share and in the process some of these kids are just getting left behind and it's, it's not necessarily what's best for Canadian soccer long term until there's some sort of option available for those kids because not everyone's going to be this superstar that rises through the ranks like a guy like Alfonso Davies a guy like Theo Bear they were going to find a way to succeed no matter what the system was. But there's plenty of players that need the nurturing and need the right environment in order to reach their full potential. And yeah, for for non-TFC prospects and even some TFC prospects, because we've seen guys, Raposo was part of the TFC academy for a while. It's not always a straight linear path, and there need to be some options for guys to go and uh, develop their game and you know find out what their true potential is. So. It's not just a white cap specific issue, it's something, you know, as you said, that Canadian soccer at large needs to deal with, but probably a bit above our pay grade, pardon me, to try to solve that.
0: Yeah, well, if you want to talk about Davies, just, I guess, final thought on this, it's crazy to think, It's well, it's hard to remember, he played in the USL when they had a second team, and if he didn't play in the USL, who knows, he might have made his MLS debut at 17, 18, and he's... He started playing at Bayern at 19. What? Imagine if he doesn't make that move, he's still had the white caps at the Whitecaps at 1920. And there's a kind of that's a scary thought because he's been doing amazing. So if if you can think, uh, even if someone else like Alfonso Davies, obviously would have made it professionally, would have made it probably even to the top eventually. But he could have even been influenced by it had he been a, a o1 or a 2 birth date, as we like to say in hockey. So I think it is it is definitely the. If the, the CPL helps with avoiding people falling through the cracks, but it's definitely something they'll want to worry about.
1: And I guess. Okay, well, what else? Anything else we want to talk about? We've done a lot of waxing poetic about the white caps, but there's also a wide world of soccer out there that isn't
0: necessarily white caps related. Yeah, I mean, uh, we got what? CPL here, Canada Soccer. MLS I guess we can go into CPL first uh, obviously last year I didn't get into it much until more the second year especially after I was working a lot in the summer so it was mostly just white caps in Canada and I got I got into it a lot I had a great time covering a lot of the CPL teams out east you're wanting to get into it so kind of what are you? have you been following along this off season? or yeah so I think the way I look
1: at it is last season because of just all the unknowns going into it. I was sort of, I was worried that, you know, I was going to get too invested and that I was going to get hurt that if I, that if I bought in and, you know, was full fledged CPL fan of the year and, and things didn't work out or it didn't seem like it was going to be successful, that I'd be disappointed. And I think now it seems like the CPL is very much here to stay. Not that, not that that was maybe ever in doubt, but it, you know there's a lot of it's a lot of infrastructure and a lot of, of things to try to set up in the first year. And I think now I'm sort of ready to ready to embrace it and accept it in a way I was maybe a little hesitant to in the first year. So I'm hoping to hoping to get out to some Pacific games this year. and obviously there's a bit of white caps flare around that team now. and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the level of soccer and I think we we saw, with the Whitecaps losing to Cavalry FC last season in the Canadian championship, that uh, these teams are not, not jokes even for MLS competition. And it's a, it's a serious level of play. And it's, it's nice to see that something uniquely Canadian has that quality, because while there are three MLS teams, it doesn't feel like it's entirely Canadian. And so to have this, this real brand as a country to feel proud of that's soccer-specific is, is exciting. So I'm, I'm looking forward to leaning in a little more to CPL stuff this year, and hopefully we can continue to talk about it as things get ramped up here.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's year two is going to be huge, and I think we can go more in-depth as the CPL season ramps up. But, for example, today was the Athletico Ottawa unveiling which is actually massive if you think about it that Atletico Madrid is investing in a Canadian Premier League team before they go into MLS before any of that they're going to the CPL to invest in a team that's mind-boggling that's a huge base of operations and I think some of the things we've seen so far Joel Waterman going from cavalry to the impact uh, Tristan Borges going to a top uh, top level second division Belgian side that might get promoted soon there's been a lot of excited things that have happened the first year, and I think the biggest thing with anything, heck, with between the sticks, we're going to go through it ourselves. The second year is always almost more important than the first year because the first year, sometimes you get that rookie rookie boost, but hey, they call it the sophomore slump for a reason. I think the league is going to need to keep capitalizing on it because fans are getting interested. People wanna are watching this around the globe now too, as we've seen with Atletico Madrid, so it's just capitalizing on that boost.
1: Yeah, it's exciting, and that's uh, one circumstance where maybe the, you know, sort of ripping off the, you know, a, a big classic team's branding isn't such a bad thing. When you've got, got a team like that invested in, you, you can say, hey, this is, you know, part of our DNA, this is part of our culture. But uh, one place where you can't say that is in Miami, and uh, they're in some serious hot water right now with the Italian giants fighting over the use of the inter- name the inter brand and uh you know
0: trouble in david beckham land down there oh that was i mean <laughs> i don't blame inter milan for going after because the inter mi yeah but it's just it's so it's so mls and i I almost love it in a sense but it's just like why inter milan why inter why are you guys doing this why is why did inter miami name themselves inter miami why it's why does inter milan care it's all this thing i think my, my honest perspective i think good for inter milan and at the same time good for inter miami they have a good name and it's hard to imagine them switching it because yeah people oh it's too european well you see you see teams i don't know i'm trying to think of a like the san jose earthquakes people mock that too so well, you can't you can't wait
1: salt lake
0: would be the, would that That that's bad That's tender right well it's what, Utah? Sunny Utah? You can't it's not at least Miami's, you know, it's an international metropolis. It's it's not good old Utah, no no offense to Utah, but it doesn't really scream global brand out there. So I think it's 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 very MLS and I think it's 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 pretty harmless. And you know, from our point of view, obviously the Europeans, oh, what are these crazy North Americans doing? But hey, it's David Beckham. You don't you don't mess with someone with David Beckham's brand power in Europe, in North America, wherever.
1: Yeah. So I love the, I think not enough people know this, um, and I'm sure you do, that, you know, David Beckham had this expansion franchise written into his contract when he yep. signed it. And I just can't get over, like, what an alpha move that was. And also, <laughs> what what terrific foresight to do that, because I believe that the expansion fee that he agreed upon through that contract was only like 10 or 15 million dollars which is just
0: business compared to common. now what Charlotte paid what 300 million Jeez. yeah so you
1: he essentially you know made an additional 250 million dollars through that initial MLS contract just goes to show either himself <laughs> or his representation were were very on top of it and also I want to see if nothing else, I would just like to see Miami play a couple of games with some like debranded kits while <laughs> they're waiting for this whole inter thing to blow over. That oh. would just—it would be so MLS to have kind of a San Jose Earthquakes thing where you know they didn't have sponsorship for a while and it just looks like a training talk. I really want to see that, especially if it's on opening night. I just think that that would be hilarious.
0: Oh yeah, or completely rebranding after rebranding to start a company. That would just be. So hilarious. And I guess speaking of that, too, there's the whole Nashville fiasco. If we're going to talk about that, how Nashville, they're having big issues with their stadium. Uh, they, there's threats that they might disband already less than a year in. Like, what, what is going on in MLS expansion world right now? Yeah, I think it's just the, you know, the MLS has taken on this
1: build it and they will come mentality. And it, it's a risky one. You know, I mean, I think that like the Whitecaps are not the caps are not making money. That's a reality. There are other teams in the league that are struggling as well financially. And yet we're seeing, you know, it feels like two, three new expansion teams getting announced every single year. So, you know, at some point, I think there's going to be a critical mass and maybe we're already getting to that point. I don't know. Um, you know, Nashville made a huge splash today bringing in Zimmerman from LAFC. And I think even with LAFC and Atlanta United, we're seeing that honeymoon period of them splashing their cash and just having immediate success. Now they're facing some of the realities of MLS and the salary cap and all the Tam and Gam rules that go along with it. And they're, you know, I think this is, it's going to be interesting years for teams like LAFC and Atlanta. Can they, adapt and can they maintain that initial success
0: yeah well i think it's mls expansion it's it's complicated it's funny to see you look at team like minnesota who is absolute garbage just like cincinnati was last year you had all of a sudden minnesota they they built slowly and look at them now they have one of the best fan bases in the league they have a solid team they figured things out and maybe is this is that the way to go obviously there's lafc and you know yeah. Atlanta they came out of the gates they're already miles ahead of their competition but there's different ways to expand and I think overall most teams should figure it out but it's kind of shows there's no perfect way to expand and obviously in a dream world it you know there'd be 20 24 team league maybe for, for, uh, relegation promotion all that but obviously we can't have that right, right now the country's too big every all this you know, separated U.S., Canada, blah, blah, blah. You could go on for hours while you can, why you can't. But while this expansion is going on, it's kind of setting an interesting blueprint for teams. Like we're seeing with Austin, they're already getting ready. They, they got their shirt sponsor yesterday. For, and they're, they already, they're, they're still a year away from competing. They're, they got a technical director, all this stuff. And you're kind of seeing these teams prepare more long-term after seeing Nashville and Miami and Cincinnati and the way Minnesota started, just how chaotic it can be yeah and i
1: think i feel like year two for cincinnati is going to be really important because i'm not sure whether or not they've shown the significant steps that are gonna you know get them get them kind of up into the realm with everyone else in year two we'll have to see they were a long way behind last year and uh you know that whole transition to that market we'll have to we'll have to see how it goes but it's uh Yeah, the MLS doesn't, as a league at least, doesn't seem like they're slowing this down anytime soon, that they're not interested in being content with the level of expansion they have. But uh, certainly some some questions on my end as to how long that will last and really even how long the current teams will continue to have success. Is it a viable long-term model or do some things need to change structurally for it to work? 20 50 years down the road
0: absolutely i think and i think that pretty much wraps up this this first episode i guess it, it's a, for us it's a trial episode but it's the first episode nonetheless so that's always it's always good and i think it was it was good to kind of dive into the the caps and uh, other stuff. We'll we'll have more subjects as we go along lots to talk about i'm sure next week there'll be lots to talk about and it was good just to Give this a shot and we'll see see where the third sub goes. Absolutely, yeah. And
1: I think we'll be
0: looking at long-term,
1: try to get some some guests, some Twitter interaction, some more sort of little elements to weave into the show. And so this is, I think, a good spot to start. We've both been really looking forward to some meaningful games being played in MLS again. And, you know, really the North American soccer season it's it's pretty quiet from late October to mid-February. So I'm just very excited to have, you know, games and goals and, you know, performances to talk about. So for me, that can't come soon enough.
0: Absolutely. So I guess uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. I mean, Sam, we can find you uh, on Twitter. Uh, Myself, it's, uh, at Alex uh, Gange, Gunge and my most of my work right now is coming at btsvancity.com. For yeah, you. my
1: Twitter handles is uh, Samuel underscore rowboat, so that's on Twitter, and uh, you can find most of my soccer writing on SBNation86Forever.com, and uh, yeah, so we'll be continuing to pump stuff out through those channels and hopefully some stuff on the audio waves as well through this podcast.
0: All right. Take care, everybody.